You've got to love Christmas. It, it, it's, it's, it's an event that has probably inspired more artistry in our, in our society than in any other season or event. Uh, Christmas has, has inspired uh, music and literature. It seems like virtually every novelist that you read has a little story on a theme of Christmas, from Charles Dickens to John Grisham to O. Henry to C.S. Lewis. In fact, in 1950, when C.S. Lewis wrote the first of his Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it it was written in a Christmas background. Many of you have read it and realized that it is, in fact, set in Christmas because the land Narnia is under the spell of a wicked white witch and has made it always winter but never Christmas. But when in that story the great golden lion Aslan appears, the symbolic figure of Jesus Christ, when he comes, uh, he brings a thaw that breaks the spell and even then, Father Christmas, Santa Claus makes his appearance. <laughs> a little while ago, I came across a, another story that was written by C.S. Lewis, a, sh- a short story that not many people have, are aware of. It's a very different kind of fantasy than The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's, but it's also about Christmas. And, and, and the title of the story, and some of you may not like this, is called Xmas and Christmas. In it, he describes a, a strange island called Neatrib, which is Britain spelled backwards. If you get it, you know, get that? Neatrib? Okay, anyhow. Uh, and in this land, there is a winter festival that is called Xmas uh, that the people in Neatrib observe with great endurance. <laughs> According to the custom in the story that he writes, the marketplaces are filled with crowds during the foggiest, rainiest, and most miserable season of the year. And great labor and weariness is spent uh, sending cards, buying cards, licking stamps, and, and getting gifts. And according to the practice, every citizen has to guess the value of every gift they receive so that they can send one of equal value, whether they can afford it or not. And, and those days are called the Xmas rush. And the sign of a successful rush is that everyone ends up looking pale, fevered, as if the plague had arrived. <laughs> Exhausted by the rush, most of the citizens of Neotrib lie in bed until noon on the day of Xmas. Uh, they rise only to eat too much and get intoxicated and then go back to bed. And on the day after Xmas and the rush, everyone wanders around in a stupor trying to calculate how much they have spent on Xmas. Does this sound familiar at all to anyone? <laughs> Lewis then goes on to describe another festival that, 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 that occurs in this, town, in, this, in this island called Neotrib, and it's called Christmas. And it's held on the very same day as Xmas. But only a few in Neotrib actually celebrate Xmas and keep it sacred. But they are, as Lewis writes in his short story, greatly distracted by Xmas and the rush. <laughs> well, in reading that story, I, I, I couldn't think, but that same thing could be written about the mythical land of Adonac. Or Canada, if you get my point. You get, yeah, okay. 
work with me, folks. Come on. <laughs> the same could be said about this mythical land called Adonek. Uh, while many are celebrating the rush that leads to Xmas, we here are really doing our very best to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and make it sacred and holy in our hearts and in our fellowship. And how do you do that? Well, it's really quite simple. The day is made sacred by the one who is, in fact, sacred, holy. The one whose name actually says it all, Emmanuel, God with us. Some see a nativity scene as just another seasonal decoration. And the baby is just another symbol of new life. But in fact, it is really so much more. For many, a baby is something new, a life that has never been, potential uh, in swaddling clothes. But the Bible tells us something very different about this day. It answers the question that takes us back in time, past the birth of this baby, to the very depth of his being. What child is this? What is he like? He is the light of life ablaze before the beginning of time. And what did he do in this previous life before he was born? He created the heavens and the earth, and he made you too. And why did he come? What moved him out of heaven to come to earth? Well, to redeem the lost, that is you and me, and to adopt us and make us children of God, members of a holy family. This morning on this, the last Sunday of of Advent, I I want to raise one more question that answers what child this is. What does he bring when he comes to earth? In the book of Philippians, we are given an answer in chapter 2. There, the Apostle Paul begins the process in the same way that we have in this Advent season. He looks at Jesus before his birth. In verse 5, he writes, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. What was he before he became? He came? Paul writes that he was not similar to God, But in every form and in every way, he was God, possessed of all the attributes of deity. He was sacred in his very being, but he didn't cling to that. His purpose for coming was so compelling that he willingly emptied himself and took on the role of a servant, bearing a gift into this planet. In the next three verses, in in verse 7, Paul describes the role that that Jesus willingly accepted. He took the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. And he was found in the appearance as a man. (laughs) Possessed of the attributes of God, he then willingly crawled into the skin of humanity and he ended up a servant, a slave. What an incredible journey to take. And the result? His whole appearance changed. He no longer looked like God. He looked human and felt human in every way. 
One writer writer describes it this way. He hurt, he laughed, and he bled. No halo hovered beatifically over his head. No royal robes draped his shoulders. No angelic wings graced his back at any moment. He could have drawn on any power, but at no moment did he choose to. He was utterly submitted to the mission to deliver the gift of God. Because he was human, people could come near him. Fishermen felt comfortable in his his presence. Prostitutes spoke to him without shrinking back in shame. Even lepers called him friend. Imagine the discipline of this love. C.S. Lewis wrote a hint of what that must have been like for him. He said, The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby, and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hand of it, think of how you would like to become a slug or a crab. (laughs) What a journey that would be. To crawl then into the thin tissue of human skin in order to to live a wonderful gift. That was Jesus' willing act. And the discipline of his love brought Jesus to that moment. As Paul writes then in verse 8, if you have that in Philippians 2, it says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even the death on the cross, the gift of the cross. And, and this gift of the cross actually rises over Christmas with a sense of wonder. Can it be this Emmanuel being treated like a criminal? The creator of the universe being subject to execution. Why? Why? And the Bible then gives the reason that through him, we would be able to trade in all of our sin in order to receive all of his righteousness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21, we read, He made him who knew no sin, and that is Jesus, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. From the throne to the manger to the cross and to your heart. Christ came so that we would be able to trade in death in order to receive life that we would be able to trade in bondage in order to be able to receive freedom. That, that we would be able to trade in shame in order to receive forgiveness. That we'd be able to trade in loneliness in order to receive love. What child is this? He is the one from whose hands came the greatest treasure of all. No wonder the Bible says it for us. It says, thank God, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. The Living Bible puts it best. Thank God for his son. His gift is too wonderful for words. But the question then comes, what have we done with that gift? And, and, and what are we to do with it? A number of years ago, I got a a note from a friend, and it was actually his Christmas card, and it was entitled, The Best Christmas Gift Ever. And verse by verse, it was instructions on how to celebrate Christmas, and basically it was instructions, the type of instructions you would probably get if you, um, if, if you, if you get a package in the mail as to how to open up <laughs> the present. And it went this way. 
Open it up one verse at a time. You have a gift that is heaven sent. Look over it over. Consider the wonder of it all. It has a wrapping. This, shines, this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. <laughs> this gift. It has a wrapping. It has trimmings. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Boy, talk about a bow on the package. It has a wrapping, it has trimmings. It also has a gift tag. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Behold, a virgin shall be with a child, and she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Wrappings, trimmings, a gift tag. And then there are instructions. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then the purpose... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And then instructions on how to unwrap the gift. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believes not on the Son shall not see that life. And then as unwrapped, we have the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He who has the Son has this life. (laughs) We've got our instructions for Christmas. But the question is, what are we going to be doing with this Son of God? What have you done with this gift that God has taken such pains to deliver? Let me finish with a simple story. And actually, this is what a true story that uh, I, I, I heard from uh, Leslie Bauer in Barrington, Illinois, when I was in Illinois. A wealthy man and his son, uh, they, they loved to collect rare works of art. He was quite wealthy, and he was able then to add to his collection everything from Picasso to Raphael. You can imagine the collection of art that he had. When the Vietnam War conflict broke out, the son was drafted, went to war, and died in battle while rescuing another soldier. And the father, he grieved deeply for his only son, his only son. One one day, months later, uh, there was a knock at the door, and there stood a young man at the door with with a large package in his hand. He said, Sir, you really don't know me, but I am the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart. I just wanted you to know he died instantly. But he often talked about you and your love of art. And then the young man held the package out and gave it to him and said, Now, I know this isn't very much. I'm not a great artist. In fact, he was teaching me how to do the art. And, 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 and I think your son would want you to have this. Well, the father opened the package, and, he, and, and what he found there was a portrait of his son in pencil on paper, obviously drawn on the battlefield somewhere. It it was not good art. It was obviously the art of a beginner. But he stared at it in awe. 
the way this soldier had captured his son in the painting. So the father took that portrait and he, and he went into the house and he, and he put it over his mantle. And then whenever visitors would come to his house, he always drew attention to that particular portrait of his son. And he would tell them the story. And, and, and he would always point to that picture before he would then even look at any other rest of the art that, that existed in the house, in this gallery that he had. And then the father died. And it came time for his, 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 his paintings to be auctioned. Many influential people gathered. Uh, I mean, Christie's in New York could not have put together a better, better scene of, of, of influential art uh, collectors as they gathered together, excited about the opportunity to purchase such a, a rare collection. On the platform sat one painting before all the rest of the paintings in the background were brought out. It was the painting of the sun. And the auctioneer, he pounded his gavel and he asked for someone to start the bidding. The crowd looked at this painting, this kind of a school child pencil drawing, and they scoffed and they demanded the Van Goghs, they demanded the Rembrandts, but the auctioneer persisted. We'll start here. Who will start the bidding? $200? $100? And the crowd, again, insisted on seeing the famous paintings instead. Uh, but the auctionary solicitors of the sun, the sun, who will take the sun? And finally, a, a voice in the crowd called out and he says, I- I'll give $10 for the painting. It was the longtime gardener who had served that family. Uh, he, was, he was a poor man, and, and really $10 was all he could really afford at that point in time. But, but he knew the son, and he loved the son, and so he, 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 he spent it all. He said, I'll give you $10 for it. And, and when the auctioneer then continued to pursue a higher bid, okay, we have $10. Do I hear 15 Do I hear 20 Do I hear 15 Do I hear 20 He went to a higher bid. The crowd actually became angry. And while the auctioneer continued to pursue a higher bid, they got angry, and finally he pounded the the gavel and he sold the painting for $10 to the gardener. And an eager buyer then from the second row bellowed out. He said, finally, on with the auction. But the auctioneer explained, I'm sorry, the auction is now over. (laughs) When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal that stipulation until this very moment. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would would inherit the entire estate, including all of these paintings. The man who took the sun would get everything. (laughs) The Bible says he who has the sun has the life. And that is the greatest gift of all. We are coming up to Christmas, and the gift is is ready to be unwrapped. It's the greatest gift of all. Will you choose the Son? The Son. The Son, the Son, who will take the Son? Choose Him and all of heaven opens wide, and all these things shall be, as Jesus said, added unto you. 
Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.